Hey everyone, and welcome to Content People. Tune in to hear from creatives, leaders, and experts in various media. I'm your host, Meredith Farley. And I'm the show's producer, Ian Servin. Hey, Meredith. Hey, Ian. On today's episode, we talked to Steve Ward. Steve's a VP at The Ward Group, which is an executive search and consulting firm in Boston. The Ward Group helps clients attract and retain talented execs across a wide range of industries. And they're somewhat unique in that their executive search consultants all have experience as functional practitioners, meaning everyone at the Ward Group has held positions in marketing, communication, strategy, or product management. It's somewhat of a family business. It was founded by Steve's father, Jim Ward, about 30 years ago. But before Steve decided to join up, he had a pretty successful and interesting career in marketing himself. I've known Steve for a few years now. He actually introduced me to Cliff Stevens, who we interviewed back around episode three. I asked Steve to do the show because one, he's a really nice, wonderful guy who I really enjoy chatting with. And two, his insights into both the marketing world and the job market make him a uniquely informed guest for anyone listening who's considering a job search or perhaps was recently impacted by all the layoffs we've been hearing and reading about. We tried to make this a really actionable advice-packed episode. Absolutely. There has been just so much volatility in the job market over the last few years, especially. And it really feels like we're living in a time where there is a lot of opportunity, but there's also so much uncertainty. And that can be so difficult to navigate for people that are just starting out in their marketing career. But it's also challenging for people that have been around a little bit longer. So it was really great to get Steve's advice for how to approach searching in the current climate. We hope you enjoy our chat with Steve. Steve, hello. Welcome to Content People. Thank you so much for agreeing to have this conversation with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you on because I think you are a very, very timely guest. What I want to get into in this conversation is first, who you are and what you do. Two, the state of the job market. Three, advice you might have for folks who are searching for positions right now. And then any wisdom you have to share with hiring managers or employers who are trying to figure out how to bring on the right talent. So just to start off, for folks who aren't familiar with you or the Ward Group, what do you do? Absolutely. And I appreciate you having me on, Meredith. Excited to, to chat about this. I'll be able to give some good insights, some probably misguided, but <laughs> excited to hop in. So I, I am Steve Ward. I am a vice president at the Ward Group, which is a retained executive search and organizational consulting firm. Uh, we specialize functionally in marketing and communication leadership roles, uh, which allows us to be more industry agnostic. Uh, we do do work in the agency space as well as on the client side. We work nationally in our scope. Uh, and being a retained uh, firm allows us to really be an exclusive partner with all organizations we work with and truly get to know them and become an extension of their team uh, beyond, I would say, typical uh, search firm. So that's a little bit about the Ward Group. Yeah. And I, you know, I think a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are creatives. They work at an agency or they work in-house or they manage a creative team. So in particular, that aspect of what you all focus on and what you do, I think is going to be really pertinent and relevant to them. So I'll say, so you have a really interesting background. You actually have a fair bit of experience in the marketing, advertising, and digital media space. How did you get into that? And then when did you move over to recruiting? 
Certainly. And it is a really interesting uh, start to my career starting in the agency world. And needless to say, moving into the Ward Group, uh, it was not by accident. <laughs> I, my father founded the firm in 93. So we're celebrating our 30 years in business this year. Wow. Prior to joining the firm, I was uh, in account lead uh, at a few, di- a couple of agencies in the Boston area. I I started my career at Boathouse Group, which is an independent firm in the area. With it happens to be uh, a place that has a lot of emphasis on the similar industries we are in, from uh, healthcare, financial services, higher education, etc. Um, and I really wanted to start off by understanding the industry, the function, and how it all works together. Uh, so it was a fun place to cut my teeth. Uh, a little bit more creative. And then I went and led an integrated marketing arm of a PR and integrated marketing firm in the Boston area before joining the ward group and recruiting individuals into those functions. Uh, So it was a great way to start my career, grow my uh, knowledge of the function, gain credibility, and then transition into the recruitment side and being able to match up great creative and, and marketing and communication leaders with strong organizations. So you went into the digital marketing side of things, cut your teeth there, got experience in that space, and then went back to the word group. And you're kind of drawing on your knowledge of how all of that works when you're looking for candidates or providing guidance for employers about the structures they should put in place, for example. Is that right? Yes, exactly. And the interesting part is that's the way we've had a lot of our recruiters come on board. Uh, A lot of our executive recruiters have come from marketing and communications and have been there functionally within a a variety of organizations before they've come into the recruiting side of things. Uh, We feel like that model is a great way to gain credibility in the marketplace Mm -hmm. and really be able to understand not just what we're recruiting for, but who we're recruiting with. Yeah, that makes total sense. Actually, I think on last, well, it aired last week, but it'll be several several episodes back when this goes up. But in the conversation I had with my former colleague, Dave Snyder, we were talking about, we both started at Grafton as writers. And we talked a little bit about how having done the role gave us a helpful amount of like empathy and understanding of how things worked in a way that then made us more effective leaders. And I can totally see that in your in the case of the ward group, having done that stuff makes you a more effective recruiter and consultant when, when trying to place those positions. Yes, absolutely. And especially with the level of leadership we work with, uh, the senior marketing and communication leaders and as well as CEOs, et cetera, it is helpful to have that knowledge and gain that credibility quickly so then they have that trust of us being able to find the right marketing and communication leaders for their teams. That makes sense. And I think in my conversations, like just that I've had with you over knowing you over the past few years, I can really see that as a helpful differentiator. I've worked with a lot of other recruiters in previous roles, trying to find roles and, or, you know, get roles filled and sometimes just trying to, uh, it, it took, it was harder and more complex than I expected to try and convey like the nuances and needs of a role. And it felt like mm-hmm. it ate up a few weeks of what was already a time sensitive search. So I can really see that as a value prop for you guys. Yes, absolutely. Certainly. And that, you know, to your point, 
that's a little bit too of how we approach the market uh, with clients really getting an understanding of who they are, what they are looking to accomplish, and being able to influence that through our experiences, both personally, professionally, and you know, through many years of, of, of recruiting in this function. So. Totally. And I'd imagine the network too. So I kind of want to name drop mm-hmm. on your behalf a little bit and tell me if you want, if you need us to like cut any of this out, but you were also in addition to Boathouse, which has a great reputation, you were mm-hmm. at Hill Holiday for a bit. Is that right? I interned at Hill. Well, so a little bit of the, you know, very green experience there, but a lot of fun to, to work within that organization. And I work across some pretty impressive brands. Yeah. And then was it at Hill Holiday that you met Cliff Stevens? Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So Cliff and I go a ways back. I in a you know, in a small world, we Cliff was one of my quote unquote clients when I was in the at the Hill Holiday internship program. And then I when I got out of Hill, went to Boathouse, we stayed in touch and most significantly I reengaged when I joined the ward group five years ago. Interesting, because so yeah. Cliff was on this podcast a while ago. I, you you were the one who introduced me to him, and you're like, you guys just might get along, and you do kind of the same thing. So I'm, I'm appreciative of that. And I just think of you as so well connected, probably in part because of your ward group network, but also all the folks you met earlier in your career. Um, my friend Julie and I were talking, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I know Cliff, and I know Steve." <laughs> So I can imagine that that serves you well too. Um, yes, for sure. The uh, the agency connections that I made prior to the war group have definitely been very beneficial uh, for me and my network. And then the war group overall, the nice part is I get to coast off of the name a little bit across the group. <laughs> you know, everyone here does a great job of building relationships and keeping them. We certainly put a premium on that of making sure we're not just speaking to someone about a role and then disappearing. Yeah. It's really about getting to understand each individual, what their strengths are, where they like take their career. And then whether it's a role we're working on now or a role we're working on in, you know, two, three years from now, being able to reconnect with them and, and just build that relationship and that level of trust is so important. Well, I'm I'm always grateful to have you in my network, Steve. So thank you. And thank you again. Well, I'm, I'm grateful to be in yours, Mary. This thank you. And thanks for having me on. Uh all right. So I want to pivot a little bit and talk about something that I think is timely, which is the state of the job market. Because mm-hmm. anyone who is reading the news or checking LinkedIn knows that there have been huge rounds of layoffs at some of the most recognized tech companies in the country. Some of the folks listening to this could have even fallen victim to a layoff. And it's uh, it seems like the state of things is fairly brutal. But it's also confusing because jobs reports are pretty good. Uh, it seems like unemployment is at like a 50-year low. I think it was reported last week. So it's confusing and people don't really know what to make of it. What's going on, Steve? Can you light <laughs> on this? Well, I, I would say candidly, I might not be the best barometer for yeah. this or the ward group overall because we do deal with senior leaders uh, and it's always when we uh, get brought on for a search, it's to solve a very specific problem for an organization. Yeah. Always some sort of leadership problem. That being said, you know, tech booms and busts are well documented throughout the years. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and not surprising, you know, you see this happen after a few years of everyone being remote, relying more heavily on tech. Yeah. Uh, the investments were there. 
there was a little bit of an overhire situation that occurred across the industry. Even we even saw this too in the agency world, right? Of a lot of organizations being desperate, trying to ramp up based on client needs and overpaying for younger talent or overhiring because there was a, a short-term need. And then as soon as there's a little bit of a downturn in the economy, it becomes last in, first out. Yeah. Um, and a little bit of that transition. So that tends to occur, unfortunately. I think, you know, from our perspective, there's certain industries that are that are a little more recession-proof comparatively. So, and those are a lot of the industries that we happen to be in. Uh, healthcare, higher ed, nonprofit, financial services, et cetera. Financial services obviously had a, a turbulent uh, run a decade ago, um, but they they uh, have rebounded to an extent uh, of how they hire their marketing leadership and communications leadership, and um, that has certainly caused a little less of a uh, turbulent run there. So you think that in tech, in some ways, the layoffs are a correction for overhiring that was the result of maybe a lack of talent and a sudden but short-term uptick in service demand and we're kind of like leveling out for a bit potentially exactly the market is is right setting a little bit right now so it which has created an interesting dynamic because in you know i would say in 2021 in the first half of 2022 uh there it was such a uh candidate market yeah where there were endless amounts of opportunity everyone looking for everything at the same time uh, so, you know, if you could fog a mirror, you could kind of, uh, you had two or three opportunities in front of you, right? You say if you uh, could fog a mirror, that is a good expression. I've never heard that. Oh, sorry, keep going. Yeah. No, 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 that's great. Uh, so there, is, but now it's gotten to the stage of, okay, the, the economy slowed down a bit, although it's not as significant as, as people anticipate, which is good. Uh, and I would say organizations really being pointed in how they hire and who they hire and for what reason. So I uh, the it's certainly slowed, but it's not you know at the dire uh, at a dire situation. Yeah, I think it's I appreciate you saying that because I think there can also be a bit of an effect where LinkedIn can be kind of an echo chamber for the mm-hmm. industry that you're in. So if you're mm-hmm. in, you know, probably my LinkedIn is mostly content marketing, tech, any uh, creative work of that ilk. Yeah. And, you know, the folks you're connected with are the folks in your industry. And you can start to think what is specific to your industry is specific across the board. And that's not not always the case. Um, yes. I have a couple more questions for you on this, but I feel like I want to take this, like, on this same track I'm curious for your thoughts on this, but I've been thinking about this a fair bit and like writing about it a little bit too, is I think that the content marketing industry and SEO in general are kind of pretty ripe for disruption over the next year or so. I think that AI, like chat GPT, Dolly, a lot of folks are really clamoring to say, this is not, you know, hey, they can't replace us. But like, guys, 
they can replace you. They can replace a little bit of the work you do and therefore they can replace a little bit of the people and they're just going to get better and better and better. So I think AI is a problem. I also think a a problem in so far as job security, I suppose. I also think that AI and the way AI search works is significantly less reliant on content. So I think SEO is pretty ripe for disruption generally. And then additionally... I think that, you know, there's a lot of coverage around how expensive AI searches are to run. It's something like 100K a day to keep chat GPT up and running. We've already introduced a, um, I think it's like $20 a month to always have access during busy windows and get faster results. Mm -hmm. And Google's model is not set up for that. Google's set up for fast and cheap searches that, Oh, you know, cheap for Google, and then mm-hmm. they serve ads and make revenue off of those searches. So I think there's like three significant factors that are impacting content, content marketing, and search experts over the next, I don't know, one to three years, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also think there's the potential like that the global, you know, the move to remote work made the work was kind of like the globalization of the workforce. And there are places where it's significantly cheaper to hire creative workers and staff, the UK, Canada, New Zealand, Brazil, South Africa. Those are all places where there's talent pool there for like 30 to 70% of the um, wages essentially that Mm US-based workers uh, with similar skill sets might have. So there's a lot happening in that particular space. Uh, do you have any thoughts or predictions on it? Yes and no, I would say, you know, there's, oh, all right. um, I would, the interesting part with, with AI, with chat GBT, especially, and, and all these kind of evolutions of, of where things are going is technology has always evolved and made things better, easier, faster, cheaper, right? And it's a matter of finding ways to, uh, for you and the workforce to utilize them in a different way and adapt your skills, right? So, so instead of thinking about, okay, SEO and SEO specialist is going away, think about what are the elements that a AI can help your organization? And then what are areas that a human can actually help utilize those that those systems, those uh, those new tools and technology to uh, to improve it. So it's about balancing out how to uh, how to utilize technology, how to approach technology, and less of how to replace people, but how to uh, complement the technology with people. Yeah, I hear you on that, but I do think that by complementing and supplementing, you are going to cut some of the jobs. Yes, I think that's unfortunately. I think that is a little bit inevitable. With some of those, some of these pieces, and especially as you look at, um, to your point, you know, if you look at offshore uh, employees or different ways to be creative around solving this, uh, solving your uh, your bottom line uh, and your your margin a bit. Uh, there is technology and, and just different resources now that I uh, that have opened up the globe a little bit for it. Um, so it is, it's a, it's a tricky balance. There's definitely elements where some roles will go away, 
but there's other, like, there are other opportunities for individuals to uh, shift their mindset and think about ways they can market themselves to an extent. Yeah, I think that's totally right. Um, all right. So along those lines, mm-hmm. if you're someone who's recently been laid off or you're job searching yep. and in that the creative marketing space, what can you expect out there right now? It's, I, I would say, obviously less uh, opportunity than there was back in 21 and 20, early part of 22, but there's still opportunity out there. And so you know, I think it, when you are going out into the market, you need to really approach it as if you were launching a product into a market and the product yourself. Oh, right? And be, so really being able to develop out go-to-market strategy for w- how you'd like to position yourself. Uh, where you'd like to go a little bit too on what the target audiences are um, that you want to go after and then how you want to position yourself to those target audiences. Um, so you really, there's there's a lot of time and effort that goes into a job search and goes into uh, that uh, that approach when you are um, let go from a job or, or you know part of rental layoffs, et cetera. I think a few kind of top of mind things that you should be thinking about is, you need to exhaust your network uh, because that is such an important part about uh, maintaining relationships, right? You need to be able to to know who your friends are and network with them, make the connections as much as possible within, you know, and expand out like a spider web to an extent uh, on those pieces. Because depending on your level, there are roles that are open on LinkedIn and and. Uh, and just posted that way. But the more senior you get, the less likely they are just to be pure posted. You know, a lot of the roles that we work on, especially uh, being a retained search firm, we're the exclusive partner with an organization. We don't market uh, anything in terms of posting on job boards, things like that. It's more about getting to know someone and making sure they're the right fit and then presenting the opportunity to an extent. Um, So, that's just a little anecdote for not all roles are just out in the open. So the more you can grow your network, expand it, get to know people and shape out who you are, the more opportunity you will get. I think that's great advice. I think when you say networking, I, some folks really hate networking. <laughs> it's tough. And I wonder... If you could, I don't know, what are you, how, what do you think the best way to go about it is? If you're someone who's like, I don't like networking. I don't really like talking to people. It makes them feel maybe a little cringy to be like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm looking for this. Or can you help me? Like any advice for them? Yes, absolutely. So I I would say on the networking side, it's most uncomfortable when you aren't prepared. Right. Uh, And when you don't have a plan going into something and when it's a pure cold outreach. So you're still going to have to do some cold outreach uh, in some way, shape, or form, but you're a little more confident when you do build out a plan. That goes back to my comment about developing go-to-market strategy, right? And being able to think about the way you position yourself in what you're truly interested in, what you're passionate about. Uh, so certainly it requires before you go out and, and start developing uh, relationships and networking, it does require a little self-reflection of what you've enjoyed, where you're passionate about, where your strengths are and where you'd like to take your career and go from there. Um, so that's 
let's see, that's an element of it. Uh, and then as far as kind of you know, traditional networking, there are different ways to go about it. The, the easiest way and the way to start is always building relationships and going out to the people that you know best and having those conversations first, because the easiest, you get more comfortable with the way you talk about yourself, the way you talk about your career, mm. and also what you want to do. So having some of those softball conversations first are very beneficial. And then you expand out from there, asking you know, X if they know Y, or they or if they know someone at a certain organization, and then start to build those kind of connective tissues uh, with the with your network. So expanding out that way, and, and what comes with that, I apologize, I know it's a little bit of a ramble. No, uh, but right. what comes with that is making sure you have you have a plan on those pieces too. So laying out who you're going to reach out to when you're going to reach out to them, what the reason is, whether it's to get to know about their organization, to get to know about a specific role, to get to know about you know a function that they're working within and how yours can work together. Um, but really being, it all comes back to planning uh, and that gains confidence that way. So, and one other piece too with this is there's a premium on follow-up. The the most frustrating thing is when someone has a networking conversation with you, great conversation, and then there's nothing after. Because the, the reality is when you were searching for a job, the individual who you're speaking to about just, you know, career advice, et cetera, they're putting time into it as well. Yeah. And so you want to make them feel like they you understand and appreciate the amount of time that they're putting into it. Yeah, I think that's that's really good advice and wise. I think that along the lines of what you are saying, I would say that both when I've been asked for help and when I've wanted to ask someone for help, one, if someone comes to me for something, I feel, and I think most people are like, yeah, what can I do to help you? It has to be a symbiotic relationship. Okay. You don't want them to feel like, it's just a you, you, you conversation and how can I help you kind right. of thing, right? It needs to be, uh, obviously they understand what the conversation is about. It's a way that you're trying to figure out what's your next career move and trying to understand more th- uh, you know, aspects of, of their career, et cetera. Um, but you also need to you know, show the interest in what they're doing because if, if you know, the job searcher it's just all about what can you do for me? Mm-hmm. That again, you know, leaves a sour taste in someone's mouth and and, and probably makes a, the individual who's helping out less likely to pick up the next phone call from you. Yeah, uh, I agree with all of that. So to try and lay your points are, use your network, be, mm-hmm. do your homework to be yes. concise and targeted in the time mm-hmm. and help you're asking for from folks be polite, follow up, and mm-hmm. think about how anything you could do could also be of use and helpful to them. Yes. And so with that comes to the developing out a plan, developing out positioning for yourself, which may change based on who you're talking to, too. Yeah. You want to make sure that it is, you know, you're positioning yourself in a way that's uh, useful for all involved. Um, and so those, I would say those are the 
the kind of core areas to focus in on. The one other piece, which this goes, this is a little bit of pre-planning on this, is staying in touch with people. Because what you don't want to do is just purely reach out to people when you're in need. Yeah. Because then, A, you talk about being feeling uncomfortable and awkward. It's just constantly going to someone when you have a need and that's it. Uh, and B, uh, you were just purely, you know, you're going at it um, at a way. I lost my train of thought there. Sorry. No, it's okay. I think it's really good advice though. So if you, you're to start from the top, you're kind of like, don't, um, you basically, you're like, maintain your Rolodex and like, yes. Um, yes. Yeah, you can start again, but I think your point is like, don't just reach out when you need something, like be friendly, be of help, stay in touch. Yes, exactly. So it is about staying in touch with your network beyond the times that you just need them and helping them out when you can and just staying up to date as to what they're doing. Because what you don't want to do is constantly have the only time you speak to them is when you need something or you're at a career inflection point. Um, because that, you know, again, goes back to eliminating symbiotic relationship. Totally. And I want to come back again to this, like positioning yourself as a product thing Mm -hmm. while we're on this bit, I want to say something else that I found weirdly useful to myself. And I don't know if this will resonate with everyone, but we all have so many touch points with different people throughout the day. You get calls from telemarketers, but sometimes you get calls from vendors where it's actually relevant to you. You get emails, you get LinkedIn, um, you know, notes generally of people trying to sell you something. All of those examples I've touched on are instances where I have actually met folks that I'm still in touch with, value my relationship with, and consider them part of my network. And it might seem weird, but I do feel like sometimes you can just feel a bit of like a connection and you think, weird, you called me to sell me your blank services, but like, I think we could be friends. Let's see how we can help each other. No, I'm not going to buy that, but let's stay in touch. I've had that exact example. I, um, when I was at Brafton, I like sold Brafton to someone calling to sell me a social platform. (laughs) I have made friends with people who are giving me demos for products that were in a fit. So I would also say that Keep your eyes and ears open as you go throughout your your professional day or week because folks that you might not immediately think, oh, this person is someone important I should have in my network mm-hmm. could be a helpful connection down the line or just someone you like enjoy and learn from. Yeah. No, that's a great point, Meredith, because there is, you know, the, the elements too of just of wanting to uh, connect with like-minded people. Yeah. Right? And there's, it's, Sometimes it's for uh, the gain of your professional or personal career. Great. Uh, but the other elements are just staying in touch and just being able to talk shop with people, right? And and be able to use that for the future for yourself in a different way, but in a, in a much more casual way. I think that's really, it is important to not think about a title first yeah. and then the person. It's really thinking about the the person, the relationship you can have with them and then you know, how best to utilize it. Totally. Um, okay. Well, I want to come back to what you've touched, you touched on a couple of times, but I want to dig in the idea of positioning yourself as a product. So mm-hmm. 
what does that mean to you? And how do you recommend people do that tangibly? Or should they be like writing up documents where they're like, this is the product. These are my potential customers. Like it, it sounds so interesting. Could you talk on it a little more? Yes, absolutely. And that, and that is kind of it, right? It is when you're starting into a, a job search, whether you've been laid off or are just ready for what's next, right? Uh, it's obviously, it's a little bit easier to do when you are don't have a role that you're currently working on. It, it not You're not in a full-time job just because the amount of time it takes for a job search is borderline another full-time job. Um, but what you want to do is, is it really approaching in a thoughtful way? And, and that's around, you know, you do want to do a few different things. One is I, I use a Google sheet or an Excel doc or whatever you like to do for, from an organization standpoint, but develop out a list of targets, you know, whether it's yeah. the targets are people, are organizations, and they might even be, you know, types of roles that you've seen in the market that are of interest to you. So you want to create a plan for yourself of how you're going to approach it. You know, that comes down to who you, who you want to network with, uh, what types of industries or organizations you want to go after, and all those pieces. You then also want to take a step back and think about who you are, you know, what your elevator pitch is. What, if someone says, who is Meredith and what have you done? Just to be able to give that 90-second snippet of your career, what you're passionate about, where you like to go, and make sure that that's refined, smooth, and buttoned up. Because what you don't want to do is ramble on and then have someone walk away from that conversation thinking, I don't know if she understands who she is, what she's doing, and I would not feel confident bringing her in uh, to this organization based on that. Um, so really being able to refine yourself from a positioning standpoint, right? So it is, if you think about a product, right, you, you take a look at what you have, take a look at who your target audience is, you take a look at how to position yourself to each of those audiences, and and then you refine it too, right? As you're in the market, as you're going, if you find there's an angle that's working better versus another, I uh, you, you hone in on that. Um, and that comes from, you know, ele elevating certain skill sets you have, certain uh, organizations you've worked with, uh, certain projects or, or uh, initiatives that you've led or challenges that you've solved. Uh, but just being able to create an overarching messaging of who you are, having proof points along the way, uh, and then you know, being confident about it in the market is really important. That, that is so interesting and helpful. Like, thank you for breaking that down. As you're talking about it, I was thinking that I'm thinking of some, um, someone in particular I talked to a few years ago, actually, who was like a recent grad who'd reached out to me, just wanted to talk about work a little and mm -hmm. how to get, and when, uh, we were talking about positioning herself, she said something to me that I actually think lots of people feel where she's like, she basically felt fake trying yes. to come up with an elevator pitch for herself or narrow herself down. And yeah. I'm curious for your thoughts on that. Oh, on one hand, I'm like, I understand that. Like we are all constantly evolving, calibrating, fluctuating beings. Like we are not a job spec, but yep. at the same time, I think it's about kind of using your judgment 
insofar as or applying judgment. Like it's not dishonest to uh, find a succinct way to position yourself for a role that you know you'd be a fit for. But mm-hmm. I know people struggle with that a little bit. I, I think uh, that it can be helpful to have someone to bounce ideas off of when you're working through yep. this, like trying to write or position yourself in an echo chamber is hard. And do you mm-hmm. have any advice when someone comes to you and you're like, man, they could be a great candidate, but they need to polish this up a little bit. Yep. What, what do you tell them? Absolutely. It's funny. I was actually just speaking to someone the other day about this because they have been in financial services for quite a while and they want to get out of that industry and move into uh, higher ed and nonprofit two areas that they want to focus in on. Um, <clears throat> but all their work history <clears throat> is all, it's tremendous, but it's all within yeah. financial services. And they're talking, and they were discussing it as, well, I did this in financial services, that in financial services, et cetera, et cetera. I said, you need to take a step back and think about functionally what you've done, right? Because where who you're selling it to is going to be different, but how you're selling, what you're selling, uh, and how you're approaching your function is going to be the same. So you need to take a step back and think about the angle that you're going to be going in with, right? And that will help you refine it. And getting outside of just an industry that you've worked within is a good way to do it. And thinking about what are my accomplishments? Where are my skill sets? Uh, it's both soft and hard skills too, right? Because there's an important part of Okay, have you you know influenced it? Taking an example from the agency world, right? Yeah. You do, there are elements of you don't have the final decision uh, from a client, right? The client makes the final decision. So how do you influence them? And then that skill set can be so important for any organization you're working at, agency or client side. But being able to influence without without uh, responsibility is is a heck of a skill to have. It's a soft skill though, and it's one that maybe doesn't percolate on a resume, but it does come through in any conversation. Okay. Um, so a long-winded way of saying you need to really t- refine who you think about who you are and whether you apply it to an industry, great, or if you apply it to a function, that's another approach to take. Uh, but thinking about the hard and soft skills that m- have made up who you are and how you'll help an organization are very important. And to your comment too about the you know the interesting part is with younger individuals starting off in their career, it's not a whole lot you can say, right? Because you know you you've partnered on something or you've contributed to or supported yeah. or et cetera. Or you've had you know two internships and you worked at a restaurant before that, right? I and you know your single page resume, not a whole lot of detail in it. I but all of that is is thinking about you know. The benefits of you to an organization and how you can sell yourself in. So, you know, and that comes in, especially if you're a younger person who hasn't had a ton of credibility yet in the industry, being able to talk about your, you know, timeliness, uh, a, a structure, a constant learner, being able to get things done, just all those softer skills that can be beneficial to an organization are important to bring through. That's interesting. Would you recommend, so say someone was in financial services for a long time, they wanted to pivot. Do you mm-hmm. rec, like, I'm almost envisioning they could do like an exercise where they take their resume or they bullet point all the stuff that they're really good at at their current job and then almost just like 
refine the language to make it a little broader and less specific to financial services? Or is there another, is there other stuff you'd recommend that they do as part of that thinking? Yes, no, that's a great point. And it's, it's interesting because when you have a position that you're specifically going after, it's very easy to do that because you think you look at the responsibilities of a position and then you map out your experience against that, right? And then you can fuse that back into your resume, but a little industry agnostic to mm-hmm. you know, more functionally focused. So that's definitely an approach to take from that side. And then you know you can still go about it the same way if you are if you don't have a specific position you're going after, but you're more so trying to network into a, a, a new industry. Take a step back and make a second you know version of your resume, and think about it. Functionally, what have I done? Uh, breaking it down into, you know, core elements of your role. I, uh, from say marketing or communications, what you've actually accomplished. I, uh, where you've affected revenue, management skills and experience. I, uh, and and growth overall. So thinking about it in ways where it's industry agnostic, but has really had tangible uh, outcomes on a team, on an organization, on a re- on revenue, et cetera. That, that's super helpful. And, you know, as you're talking about it, I feel that like for me, whenever I'm doing stuff for myself, it is 10, 20 times harder than doing it for a friend or someone else. Mm-hmm. I feel like having, you know, a partner, friend, colleague, give you some time and like talk it out with you and lend some objective perspective was so helpful. But I also think this can be a really sneaky way to network. Sneaky is not the right word, but if there's someone that maybe you're like, I wish this person would mentor me or I wish this person, um, I'd love to connect with this person, but I don't really know what I'd want to ask of them or talk to them. I think Asking for help with this in particular can be powerful, especially to your point, if you've done the work. So you've got your Google Docs, you've got your versions of resumes, and you're like, hey, you're in this industry. I want to pivot from blank to your industry. I've done this work. I would be so grateful for 30 minutes of your time for you to maybe give me your perspective on how I could be positioning myself for that. Folks will generally say yes. And if you then have a connection with that person, they might have you in mind. They might be like, yeah, here, also, I'm aware of this role or I know this person you should talk to. So I feel like this exact exercise you're talking about can also be a really good inroads to form a bit of a relationship with someone that you might wish for a connection with, but don't quite know how to how to approach. Yes, that's a great, very on point, Meredith, and, and poignant because it is, it does, it allows it as a subtle way to create a mentor-mentee relationship. Um, so that's a, a great idea. And, and one other comment too, going back to your earlier comment around pinging it off of other individuals beyond the, the mentoring side of it, you know, especially over the last few years, right, where everyone has been at home mm-hmm. in different ways, driving each other, driving their significant others insane, roommates insane, whatnot. But everyone has also listened in a lot more yes. on conversations, not work conversations on what the hell you do and how you do it, right? So being able to use a roommate or a friend or a significant other 
or a family member as a sounding board for here's how I'm positioning myself, here's what I feel like I've done is incredibly beneficial because they listen a lot more than you think. Yeah. And they can say, you do a lot more th- than that. You do X, Y, Z, you, you know, it, and just be able to uh, give a good perspective to you. And it's, you know, for the most part, unless it's a random roommate, pretty unfiltered. <laughs> oh, I think that's so smart. Um, yeah, you're totally right. It is so funny. We have so much more insight into like our partner roommates. <laughs> work life. For better or worse. Okay. Yeah, totally. <laughs> In the beginning, I literally had to tell myself to back off. He doesn't need my advice because I was getting pretty like into the detail. Yeah. My fiance, could. she's like, she would, I would drive her insane going through the worker pitch on a consistent basis. And she would just, she could parrot it back to me consistently. That's great. Like I can pitch for you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that's really funny. Um, all right. Well, I know we don't have too much time left, so I feel like I could talk to you for hours, Steve. I'm going to oh, try and zoom through the things that I think are maybe most relevant to listeners. So yep. uh, one thing I think is salient if you've been laid off is that a lot of people don't know how to talk about a layoff in interviews. Mm-hmm. They think it might reflect poorly on them or they feel some shame around it. What mm-hmm. advice do you have for them when they get the question that's like, so why did you leave your last company? Yes, I and it's interesting because that it's it, I, I see it all the time. People struggle to get through it, and I would say the vaguer you are, the more questions it creates. So it's a being matter of fact about what happened and being keeping it brief are two very important pieces. Because the more you start to ramble, you start to it, it yeah mumble through the situation. It gets it creates more questions than answers. So keeping a brief, you know, a unfortunate downsizing of the organization. I I I was part of that downsizing. I still enjoyed you know learning X Y Z while I was there. But I, and then shifting the conversation towards the future. But I'm really excited to bring these skill sets to here. So being able to keep it brief, be succinct. Be very, uh, you know, matter of fact about it, and then pivoting quickly into what you're excited about, uh, about the opportunity and, and where your skills can can help. Yes, that is. I think that's great advice. And I would say, as someone who, over the years, hired and interviewed probably hundreds and maybe thousands, didn't hire thousands, but potentially interviewed <laughs> thousands of folks. Never once did I hear someone say they were laid off and think anything bad about them. Like mm-hmm. it's a really internalized shame, it feels like. And then also on the other side of it, for whatever reason, I've been laid off and I, for some reason, have zero shame about it. Honestly. Yeah. So I, I think it's a, uh, but it's something that it seems to, s- people get caught on that one in particular. Yes. Um, no, absolutely. It is. Yeah, people do get caught on. People think about like, okay, is this going to, going to reflect as if, I did something wrong in yeah. my role. And, and the reality is, no, it's a business. Uh, organizations understand that. And and as do recruiters, and the more you are uh, succinct and matter of fact about the situation, the easier it is. Okay. So don't ramble, be succinct, and yep. don't just be clear about it. Don't feel be, embarrassed. Be clear about it. Pivot towards future and what you learn at the organization that you can bring to the next one. 
Um, and then the other piece too is don't bash the old organization. Yeah. Right. That is, if people go that road, I've seen it a million times where someone will start saying, yeah, unfortunately, you know, a round of layoffs, you could kind of see it coming because of X, Y, Z, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, the more you, you talk negatively about your previous employer, the more of a bad taste in the mouth the interviewer gets. Right. I think those are all great bits of advice. So, all right, say these interviews go well, you get mm-hmm. an offer, but maybe you're not actually that into that role. Mm-hmm. You've been laid off and you receive an offer. Is it, you know, there's the maxim that it's easier to get a job when you have a job. Yeah. Well, if someone, do you think someone should kind of take it and keep looking or do you think they should risk it and look for something else? What would be your advice to someone in that situation? I would say emphatically, no, okay. don't take it. Don't take uh, it. Correct. Do not take it. You, uh, you want to make sure that the next move you make is the right career move and not just taking a role to take a role for a few reasons. One, it creates, it can create essentially three moves in one uh, in your career. So what I mean by that is you get laid off from company A, you accept a role with company B, and then six months in, you find a role from company C that you actually like and you take it. You now have a short stint at company A, a very short stint at company B, and then you're starting at a third company within, you know, a year timeframe, which is never good on, on, a resume in a you know in a career journey, et cetera. So you don't want to create, you know, one false, one bad move can create three moves essentially in your career. Um so that's one element to it. The other element too goes back to a little bit around developing out a plan and a criteria for what you want to do, where you want to go, et cetera. Uh, so you want to make sure that you have a criteria of how you're evaluating things from, you know, does the role inspire me? Does it challenge me? Uh, will I be able to grow from it professionally? Uh, will I be able to make significant contributions? Uh, is there an opportunity for growth long-term at the organization? That one is a little bit trickier because you can't tell too much into the future on it. Yeah. But being able to develop out a little bit of a criteria of how you're evaluating things will give you a clearer mind of what is the right role for you. Got it. And I think that's an empowering mindset too, which I think is helpful when you're looking for a role. Mm-hmm. Like you are not, you don't need to just take anything. You can s- figure out what you want and then pursue things in line with what you want and yes. not even worry about stuff that doesn't fit. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, one other element to it too. So say you've been out, you've been laid off and you've been out of the, uh, you've been searching for a year, right? You can't find anything. Instead, of, if you're going to jump into another role, and it ends up being kind of a, a interim role for you. You need to stay for a bit of time in order for it to be acceptable yeah. on your resume. If you don't do that, the other approach you can take is taking on some consulting short term, uh, because it'll keep you fresh, keep you active in the market, and also show your ability to uh, to be successful on your own. Yeah. And uh, and you know leverage your network a bit, but that's when you're in a dire situation. I would say, on the whole, it's best to make sure you're making a, a clear, sound uh, decision after you've been laid off. Take the take a role you actually want, or yes. keep going. If yep. you need income, you can you know 
look for consulting opportunities as you search for the right permanent fit. Or maybe third best option is if you you get to a point you're like, I really just need a salary. I got this offer. I'm going to take it. Be prepared to do a year or more because you just, you kind of need to stick it out for a bit at that point. Yes. Yes. And I know that the world has changed a little bit where people can make quicker jumps here and there, but on the whole, from a, I personal growth and professional growth standpoint, if you're at an organization for under a year, there's not a whole lot you can accomplish. Yeah. And, and there's not a whole lot that you'll be able to actually help the organization with. So, um, I would say those are the elements. And then the last piece is this goes kind of at the top of this is making sure you have a criteria criteria that you are holding yourself to, to evaluate any type of role. All right. Well, last question Yeah. in our time, remaining time, what are a few red flags for prospective employees that the role is not going to be a good fit and they shouldn't take it? And, or what are the green flags? Yes. I, uh, this is always, this is incredibly interesting because we obviously deal with this a ton from the recruitment side. I, uh, and uh, because, you know, we are a third party for both the client as well as the candidate. And we're really the sounding board for each side. So when we go through a process with a, an organization, we're getting a, a debrief on interviews from the candidate side, as well as a debrief on interviews from the client side and seeing kind of how it matches up interests, et cetera. Um, I would say the red flags, the most significant red flag and consistent one tends to be when an, when an interviewer or an organization is only buying and not selling an opportunity. So they are interviewing employee, a, a prospective employee in asking and drilling down to that prospective employee's experience, but not focused in on the benefit for that prospective employee. So it's all about what can you do for me versus what can we do for us? Interesting. Okay. So that is definitely a red flag overall. Uh, another red flag I would say is, and this tends to, this is when you have more than one conversation with a, a organization, which if you're going through the hiring process, you will have. If the expectations and story of the organization, the culture, what they're trying to solve for are inconsistent. If you have one uh, you know, one key stakeholder saying, we need an acquisition marketer, we need to you know, bring in MQLs, and then you have another key stakeholder saying, we need to be out there from our brand side. And we need, you know, we need to have air cover across the board. I don't care about the acquisition side of things. Uh, basically, it, making sure that the story is succinct and aligned across all, all interviewers. Um, and that, too, comes through not just for the expectations for the role, but also what they think about the organization and what the, you know, the culture is like there, too. That makes a lot of sense to me because being succinct and aligned across the board means that you're communicating with and understanding each other. And if Mm -hmm. your colleagues or future bosses are not aligned in that way, the role is going to be one of triangulation for the future. And there's going to be a lack of clarity about what, why you're even there. Yep. Absolutely. And that, you know, what comes with that too, on, 
on the employer side is preparation, right? Mm -hmm. And making sure that everyone is aligned on what they're looking for, what they're talking about, and you know, having consistent lines of questioning. Um, so just making sure that you, you know, you come across as a button-up organization for any prospective employee. So if an organization wanted to work with the ward group, Steve, what could they expect? What would the process be like? Certainly. And so our process is a very high-touch approach. Uh, so we take great pride in understanding our partners that we work with for each individual uh, opportunity. Uh, so a lot of it will be conversations up front discussing what you're looking for, what the benefit, what the organization is like, what the kind of transformation point is in your organization, where you're looking to go, uh, trying to really uncover who you are, what uh, success looks like for the organization, for the role, for the individual coming into the role, all those different pieces. Uh, and then we are an organization too that goes out into the market with all of our senior leaders at uh, consistently throughout the process. We don't have junior recruiters on the staff to go and do initial outreach to individuals and then have a vetting process through senior leadership. You all, what you see is what you get. You all have senior leaders consistently with you throughout the, uh, throughout the process, vetting candidates, bringing you thoroughly vetted and strong uh, sets of candidates. We like to keep those limited from your end, but we do a high volume on our end from the vetting process. And then we bring you through the, uh, every stage of the interview process from ensuring uh, a strong interviews, acceptance of the role from a, from a candidate and onboarding too. We like to say we're not just a recruitment organization, but we, we put a heavy premium on retention. We want individuals and organizations to thrive long-term and not just you know in the first year. Um, so we make sure that not only will we be a, a very white glove, high community, highly communicative organization and, and partner throughout a search, but we're also staying in touch and ensuring long-term adoption for any perspective uh, or any placement and employee. Got it. That was really okay. clear and helpful. And I think it gives a good picture. All right, Steve, I know we're, we're a couple of minutes over. Oh, we're I good. still have like a million questions, but thank yeah. you so much. You gave such actionable advice. I feel like I definitely learned things. I, I presume that this is going to be really useful to the folks who listen. I'm super grateful for you sharing your wisdom. Like, thank you so much. Uh, if people were interested to work with you or the ward group, how could they reach out or um, get in touch? Absolutely. Uh, you can email me at sward at wardgroup.com. Give us a call at 781-938-4000 uh, or visit our website, wardgroup.com. I would love and, and happy to talk to anyone who's uh, thinking about what's next in their career or just every networking conversation. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed this, Meredith, and I appreciate all of your time. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's show with Steve. We'll be coming to you next week with a show all about branding with brand expert Kelly Corney. To support the show, you can rate, review, and subscribe. Those things make a huge difference. And if you'd like today's conversation, you'd probably like the Content People newsletter. Subscribe at the link in the show notes. And that's it, folks. Thanks so much for listening. 